Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Slater, and I'm here today with Russell Case, and he's uh, poised to ask (laughs) me some questions about uh, my first trip to India, I think. Is this an episode of Drunk Finding Harmony? No. 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 We're stone sober. Yes. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm fine. Well, we are at home. Yes, we're self-isolating still. I think it's week six. Week, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So... I had a couple of questions for you, and I don't I don't mean to, to segue badly. Uh, I just I wanted to ask you a question. I listened to your your podcast, and I listened to uh, the one where you 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 made a sort of introduction to yourself, and you talked about um, some of the the uh, load stars loads load stars of your life, and and a little. Um, you know, for example, uh, dancing, going to India, uh, being a banker. I think that was episode one. Episode one, yeah, yeah, yeah it was. And so, what I, what I, what I'm interested in is there was, there's one moment, there's a sentence, and you made this statement. What was that when you'd been to India that you had finally felt like you had gone home? And then you moved on. You talked, and I, you talked more about yourself and. I, I'm really interested in that statement, and I'd like to know more about what that was like. I'd like to know more about your experience hour to hour of practicing in India. Uh, I'd also like to know how you can reconcile uh, the filth (laughs) that is omnipresent in India, and also how you could see it as being home, because I know you as something of a neat freak. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm more of a tidy freak, but you are actually like to clean the house. I like to keep it tidy. Yeah, no, I like it. These are different things. Spotless. You like it spotless. Sparkling. I like sparkling. I like it tidy. Yeah. It's weirdly different, though. It is different. I like it when things sparkle. What would you say about India sparkles? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not the same kind of sparkle as the clean house. No, it's not. Um, Well, I guess to answer that question, I feel like growing up in North America, I never exactly felt like I belonged or fit in anywhere in particular. I think I was never... Um, I mean, with a particular group of, I was sort of, the group of friends I had, I guess, was like the misfit kind of drama people. Mm-hmm. You know those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my people. <laughs> they don't really belong to any, anyone. <laughs> it's amazing how you can, you, you have to go to different cities to find those people. Yeah. Because you can't often find enough of them back, back home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, mm. 
So I guess I just never really felt like my my goals or my ideas, my values about the world and what I wanted and what I thought was interesting. Um, it never really matched up that well with uh, the society I was growing up in. So this is interesting, right? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I believe that what I found about home in Gokulam, in the suburb of, of Mysore in India, was not uh, that it was home, but that I was in a um, like a kind of summer home where where we could coalesce as a group, and the people, my people, your people could meet and we could finally have Sangha. We could finally have our, our um, what is a Sangha? Community. Uh, it's community around a spiritual practice. Yeah, like a little... Whatever spiritual means. Yeah, I guess it was like a little expat community embedded within India. And that, that little expat community embedded in India, those 200 of us, mm-hmm. that was home. Or do you actually believe that those, those moms who were who were renting out apartments to us that that was home yeah i felt like the people the indian people were in my heart you did i did i love india i love everything about india um so sandhya's like remonstrations to you to stay moral and married and have children and and clean your home that really that really uh uh rang for you that resonated for you (laughs) i mean you know later in in life i think i it was an interesting journey i think when i first got off the airplane and i landed there the chaos the dirt the colors the uh sort of in contrast to the desolate brownness and yellowness of the earth in um, calgary (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is also in Calgary. But well, it really like resonated with me and it really felt like something out of my childhood. And uh, my mother was very much into Eastern religion. And so I think there was something very resonant with how I grew up. She was a hippie. She had like those beaded drapes. She had you know, this very 60s house that when I went to India, all of these things came from the East. They came from this Indian culture and then were uh, transported back into this Western hippie life. And so when I was very young growing up, this was sort of the home that I grew up in, was this hippie home that was decorated and filled with things that were Indian. You know, we had a Sri Yatra, we had these beaded drapes, we had these, um, you know, plant hangers that were all very hippie. The furniture was very hippie. We had the sari type furniture covers over the the couches. So so there was a likeness to the, the physical things, but would you also say and I, I feel like you might be going in this direction, forgive me if I'm wrong, but in, in the society itself, there is a, there's a living mystic presence, that the people have a living uh, spirituality to them, that back home, 
in North America or Canada or Calgary or Texas mm -hmm. is is perhaps uh, very far removed, but, yeah. but it's very present in your mother, whom I've met. <laughs> yeah, I felt, yeah, that this was a, I mean, collectively, of course, you know, there's always exceptions to to collective uh, conversations about people, but that there was an ethos in the culture where people were okay with chaos and believed that the chaos was organized by a higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so it was okay if things didn't work out. They weren't trying to impose or force a particular structure or viewpoint on the world. They were kind of okay with organic, natural sort of arising and dissipating of things. And this felt very comfortable to me. It felt very much like where my heart was at, where my spirit was at, where I felt most comfortable was in a place, a country, a culture that was kind of okay with this insanity and, and was like, yeah, the world is a big mess and it's okay. We're just going to weave in and out of this chaos and things are going to turn out in the most perfect way. And that was very different than in the West where we try to impose an will, structure and form and a certain way of being and this is right and this is wrong and we're always boxing things into a particular category and trying to define everything and in India that's not so much part of the philosophy or the culture or the mindset of the people it's very much just taking things as they appear and then letting it go and then it might appear again in a different way and that's the way it is now and then they let it go and so there's more of a flow and allowing uh, receptiveness to the arising of whatever is happening as it's happening when it's happening, and then also not a holding on to the things that have arisen. And for me, I, I really loved that about the culture of India, and I felt very at ease with that approach. And that's not everybody's experience there. A lot of people really feel a lot of dis-ease <laughs> with that, especially when they come from a North American point of view. They don't like that there's no structure, that there's no set rules, and that every rule has a million exceptions hmm. and is really just there to be a guideline and also to be broken at any point when you feel it's necessary to break it. Hmm. <laughs> well, certainly anyone that's seen your mother's cabinets can understand where you're, <laughs> where you're coming from. Now, you, I, I imagine living in uh, sharing a home with me where I like things in a particular place you know <laughs> I, I have a particular aesthetic that I adhere to and I like everything to, in the house to be in the right place but I, I, I that possibly that disagrees with you but you seem to also like it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what I did also love about India was this sense of that we had enough time that if there were problems we had all day to work to figure it out we don't have your bags the bags aren't coming you're at the airport it's coming not coming <laughs> it's okay possible possible coming of course <laughs> yeah everything is possible yeah i don't mean to be for those of you in radio land i don't mean to be racist when i slip into that that indian accent it's it's just that it, it somehow it helps understand this this notion of allowing chaos in our lives. 
Yeah, the head wobble. The, the head wobble. The yes, yeah. no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Possible. This was very much my experience. Now, this isn't my radio show. But this is very much my experience <laughs> in my in my first day. But let's leave that to one side. What was the you? Did you feel that you your first day in India was when you got on the plane, or when you got off the plane? When I got off the plane, I you did. didn't take Air India then. No, <laughs> I did. I entered India the moment I got on the plane. Okay, what well, you flew? You flew from Calgary to England to India, something like that. Yeah, something like uh, Singapore. I think my first Singapore. trip, I flew through Singapore. You threw you through went that direction. Yeah. Good lord. Yeah. Okay, and so you got off, and did you land in Bangalore, or was it Mumbai? Was it Chennai? It was Bangalore. Bangalore. Yeah. That was your first introduction to India. And you were with a very a tall gentleman. Yeah, I was with Jeff, my ex-husband. No, 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 you weren't with oh, Jeff. Oh, no, I wasn't, you actually. Weren't. No, no, you I were forgot. with a very tall man. This very tall man. Yeah, I was with another man. Well, well, he was like a bicycle messenger or something, what was he? No, I was with Jeff. No, 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 this tall man. Who? Your ex-boyfriend, the tall. No, I met him. He was already in India. He was already there. And yeah. so you did go to India with Jeff, yeah, yeah, I did who was only Jeff. a friend. Yeah, you're And he was escorting you to your boyfriend, the tall man. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So you you, <laughs> you and Jeff take the same flight from Calgary? Yeah, we were friends. We were buddies. We had been friends for a while. You flew across the world with a friend? Yeah. A male friend? Yeah. People do these things, you know. Hmm. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> so you and Jeff get off the plane, and you land in Bangalore, mm -hmm. and is there like a man with a sign? How do you get to Mysore? Yeah, there was Mysore, a... Mysore, we took Mysore. a taxi. Took a taxi. How'd you get one? And it was the old airport, so as you left the airport, you probably remember there was like rows and rows of taxi drivers and people there. We had a car waiting for us. We had had a friend who you was... You negotiated that. Yeah, we had a friend oh, who was already genius. in Mysore who arranged a car to come and oh. pick us up. So it was a bit luxurious. I wish I had done that. Yeah, it was Good. nice. I took a 25 cent... Um, uh, what was it called? The... Um, Shatabi Express. No, I took the Hamsa, the Hamsa bus from Bangalore. 25 cents. <laughs> So then, okay, so you get some Mysore. What time of day do you lie? Do it you was uh, like 2 in the morning, I think. 1 or 2 <laughs> in the morning. And then I got up that very next day, and because I had this uh, boyfriend at the time who was already in Mysore, mm -hmm. he was practicing. He had been there for three months. And so uh, he said, well, why don't you come and practice with me? You can register in the afternoon. I already talked to Patabi Joyce and Sharad. They said it was fine. Right. And so you, you practice at, the, at so this I fellow's went, place. Yeah, so I, I went and slept for like two hours and then right. got up and went and practiced at 4.30 in the morning. And what point did it was you realize Friday. It was that, a lead this, class. that this, this nation was insane? <laughs> India? Yeah. What was the thing that like, oh... This isn't like this isn't like back home in Kansas. Um, I think it was probably when I tried to get more than one thing accomplished per day. <laughs> <laughs> like, like sending a letter at the post office. Yeah, like if you had planned to like go grocery shopping and send a letter, mm -hmm. you're gonna run into problems. Right. Also, That's... there's no telephones, so you couldn't telephone anyone. Yeah. Um, that was difficult, and also, um, at that time, like. Nobody really had Wi-Fi in their house or computers or things like that. So, like even your parents might not have had that. I I just mean like, 
you couldn't get two things done on the same day, but was there like a, a shocking event to you where it was just like, I can't believe what this place is? Well, maybe my, I think this was like my first week that I was there, maybe the first four or five days, I went to go see an Indian astrologer. This oh. is kind of a funny story. I don't tell this story very often. So it's a special treat for was our it, listeners. It wasn't Shankarayana. No, not Shankarayana. I did go see him later on. But um, this was uh, Dr. Rao. Oh, yeah. He's, he's now passed. He was very old at the time. I'd say he was probably about 89 when I went to see him. Yeah, I've heard about him. Um, he was lovely, lovely, old, old Indian man. Very sweet. Um, I came into his office. It was just like he had a like some computer, like which was surprising. Yeah. And then he had all these charts and books, and he was just like out of history, you know. And he mm-hmm. is telling me, "Oh, I just got this new computer. I'm learning how to use it." Oh. And uh, he was so s- smaller than me, like tiny man, you yeah. know, Indian, a South five, Indian, a five footer. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like very frail and old. Anyway. So he gave me this astrological reading, and he was sitting behind the desk, and I was on the other side of the desk, and yeah. it was all, you know, very up and up. But it was just him and I, and we were just talking, and it was, it was, you know, kind of also emotional, and and not in a bad way, but just yeah. in a, we felt, uh, or I felt very connected to him because he was so sweet and nice and kind, and and he felt grandfatherly to me, yeah. and so. Um, you know, I paid him the money for the reading and the consultation. And and then as I was leaving, I was like bowing and thank you so much. Thank you so much. A very respectful gentleman. Yeah. yeah and, and he was like smiling and so happy. It's a good day for him. And then so I went to give him a hug because like in North America, when you feel maybe like connected to like an yeah. elderly person, you might give them a, a hug, you yeah, know. Yeah, a little forward, yeah. <laughs> At which point, this 89-year-old man reached out and grabbed my boob. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, wow, oh. Sexy. Yeah. You uh, you came on to him, and he responded. That's amazing. And that was, was a lot like our first date. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my. Well, this is a whole different culture. This I'm going to have to really... Kettle of fish. I'm not going to be able to really express myself as I normally do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a good lesson. It was a very good (laughs) lesson, and I learned it my very first week in India. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was an eye opener for sure. Well, if you come on real strong. That's what you're going to get. Yeah, I didn't really, like, yet have the sense that of, like, how deeply entrenched these these values are in India, that, like, married people wouldn't hold hands in public. Right, no. Men and women don't touch each other in public. You don't they expose don't... your underarm hair. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like that. Right, they don't... Sometimes if women are traveling alone, they'll, they have a special cart only for women. Like, I didn't know all of these things yet. Yeah. It was like my... I'd been in India five days. Right. And so... For me, men and women have very open relationships here, especially like a grandfatherly type figure would, yeah. you know, 
wouldn't really try something like that here but no. there it was so strange for him and, and like his you good so it was his lucky day you, you know were so He's obviously like, coming on to him yeah there's this 20 like, okay. 23 year old girl like okay. giving me a hug oh. wants to get it on in my office all right i think so that was a big a big eye opener and then and then also i can think I, can i just say to interject mm -hmm. that uh, sexual assault is never your fault <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I really didn't. Mm. I really didn't blame him, to be honest. Um, but it was surprising. <laughs> uh, but then also the other thing that really I think was different was I could feel, especially then. I don't feel it so much now. But then, it wasn't so common to have foreigners in India, even Mysore, even Gokulam. It wasn't mm -hmm. that common to have foreigners there, and especially blonde hair, blue eyes. Right. So I used to get a lot of very, um, like, hungry looks from sure, men yeah. that were quite confrontational yeah, or exotic. aggressive. You're extraordinarily exotic. Yeah, and they would they would try things all the time, like complete strangers coming sure. up on the street, like, would try yeah. things. So I had tried things all the time when I was in junior high school. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so right away, I kind of uh, put up a lot of... Uh, Guards, I got. I became very tough in India, yeah. especially You're, towards men. Sure. So You're I wasn't known as a tough. <laughs> as a tough. I was very loving, yeah. but also if like don't try something. I've I have punched Indian men before. You so punched me before. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Let me let me. I was going to ask a, a question about your your hour to hour day to day in India, but I want to just first. I'm going to go to my last question to kind of follow the thread. Mm -hmm. Thinking about sexual assault on the street, thinking about the filth on the street, you know, encountering lepers on the street mm -hmm. is not abnormal. Uh, the diet in India is also not exactly what the health food nuts that we were, that we were acculturating ourselves to back home mm -hmm. at Whole Foods where we were taking all green food all the time, green powders all the time. The bike smoke is a constant. You're, you're, it's not a place to detox. <laughs> no. And yet we were there to spiritually detox. Sure. So I w how would you reconcile the healing in this new home, in this place that you'd found home in India, how do you reconcile that with the constant abuse of your physiological, emotional, and intellectual and, and uh, um, systems? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a close friend who really loved India, and he used to go. He went, uh, you know, maybe four or five years, um, even was authorized, but then decided to stop going because it was wreaking so much ha havoc on his lungs, on his yeah. asthma, and sure. creating a lot of problems. So uh, it's definitely true. The air quality isn't great. There's a lot of pollution. Um, and also the food itself isn't super nutritious in my mind. I mean, I've had a lot of uh, people argue with me that live in India saying that their food is the most nutritious, but um, our banker at TD <laughs> Yes, even our banker in Calgary here. tried she tried to make that 
yeah. assertion. That was amusing. But it's, I mean, it's interesting. My first year there, I think I probably put on 10 pounds yeah. just from eating out and eating the food there. And it, it wasn't like I was eating a lot. Chapatis. Yeah, and the curries and the dal and yeah, the, everything's cooked in a really heavy oil. And they use the same oil over yeah. and over and over and again. And sleep 18 hours. They put a lot of sugar in the food. Right. Um, so, you know, it's not that healthy uh, compared to what you're talking about where we're really focused on like juicing and mm -hmm. eating greens and eating right. salads. Raw food is... I mean, one of the, you know, main rules for staying healthy in India is don't eat raw food. Yeah, that's right. Right? Because you can get dysentery yeah. quite easily because there could be fecal matter. Yeah, you can lose a lot of weight with dysentery. <laughs> you can. That's what I found. I lost a good 18 pounds yeah. and I was never in better shape. Um, <laughs> so when I... After many years of going to India and traveling and staying there, I started to actually travel and bring a bunch of green powders with me. And then I would only have like maybe Indian breakfast, something that's a little mm -hmm. bit lighter. And then I would just eat my own food. I'd cook at home right. and eat, um, you know, drink green smoothies to get some micronutrients right, yeah. and something green yeah. in my body. And those times I felt really good. But the times that I haven't brought the green drinks and I've just been eating the local food, I definitely, for me, I feel a, a depletion of my system for sure. And I ha also have asthma. And, um, you know, I used to go downtown a lot. Like every day we would go downtown and chant with Jai Sheree and listen to Narasimhan. That's and, a sacrifice to your lungs. Yeah, go to Sandhya's or Auntie's and enjoy the food downtown. But uh, after 2008, I, I just said, I can't do this every day. I can't Bro. go downtown every day because I come back just hacking up like black phlegm. And feeling it in my lungs so badly, I just, I couldn't do it because of the pollution. It's, it's the interesting kind of irony to India is that it's actually, for its, its incredible spiritual, spiritually, it's spiritually pervasive. It is. And yet it has the highest rates of hypertension for that spirituality. Uh, for its, its, for its uh, interest in health and nutrition has the highest rates of diabetes per capita in the world. And yet we kept going back because we did keep feeling healed by the experience. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like that was, that was an exchange you were willing to make? Yeah, definitely for sure. At the time, it was, it was an exchange I was willing to make. The practice, the teachings, the sangha, the community, being with these people that were living the same kind of lifestyle and believing the same kind of things and vegetarian and practicing at four in the morning and you know having a lunch and then not eating for the rest of the day there's all kinds of like sort of cultural things that the ashtanga community or the practitioners when you're really like invested in your practice do mm -hmm. that are a bit nuts and very counterculture to not just western society but even indian society yeah. because yeah. indian people don't eat dinner till 9 p.m mm -hmm. so it's i mean it's counterculture really to every society mm -hmm. um and and to be with that community and with those people and surrounded in that, I think, made my um, connection to the practice very strong. And also, I think the benefits of the practice and just having uh, that space and time where 
you're not doing anything, you're just, everything is focused on getting up at, you know, maybe 1.30 or 2 in the morning, mm -hmm. and then you're reading, like, spiritual texts, you're doing some, like, extra stretching, some sort of hip openers or back openers, yeah. and then you're going to sit outside someone's house at 4 in the morning to get let in at, I don't know, 10 after 4 or something, yeah. and then practicing so early, and everything is just built around that time of practice you know maybe you're meditating or doing pranayama before or after yeah. and then the rest of the day you're kind of just letting it soak in and maybe you're napping maybe you're you're just really letting go and releasing and maybe processing stuff whatever's come up you're really seeing it and like dealing yeah. with stuff because stuff comes up in that practice room yeah big time it's and intensely emotional very much and and I found it extremely frightening, which is also why I wouldn't go out in the day. Because mm -hmm. I was really only prepared for one more emotional, deeply emotional encounter per day. There was the <laughs> practice, and that's why I was doing the pre-stretching and the calming and the meditation before. Because I was, I was frightened out of my mind. <laughs> and then I, wanna, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I don't want to go to the post office and deal with that nightmare again. <laughs> Nightmare being me. Yeah. yeah I'm, it's me. It's a nightmare. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. So I just stay home. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, that's the thing is when you're busy and you have a lot of things on your mind or on your plate, you don't necessarily deal with, you know, your past or emotions that you might have buried, or even emotions that are coming up in the moment, you just kind of stuff them down mm -hmm. and are like, yeah, I'll deal with that later, or I'll look at that another time. Mm -hmm. But when you're in Mysore and you don't have all these demands and pressures on your life, these things come up and it could come up from like 10 years earlier, or 20 years earlier, um, and you can't help but look at them. You can't help but start to process and let go and deal with it mm -hmm. and really like take a good look at it right and it's helpful because that changes then the body as well it helps you to release those areas of tension where you're holding those stored emotions or memories in your body because the mind and the body are the same thing they're just different expressions of what's what you're hanging on to what's composing you um, so it was very right. interesting to watch that mind-body connection and see the mind turning into a physical sort of reality and then also see how you can manipulate the physical reality to change the mental emotional landscape and how these two are very much connected. I was always really disappointed to realize that I was that I was me. <laughs> Maybe we should stop there. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for asking me all these great questions. That was funny. That story of Dr. Rao came up. Bless his soul, wherever he is. I hope he's been incarnated into a, a, a good future birth. <laughs> yeah, as a brazier. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much for listening to our, our chit chat today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard wind and the soil